success in my salon is so directly correlated to my relationship to the people that work for me and work with me. I think in the beginning, I ran the restaurant like a traditional, uh, not a leader, but as a boss, I was just loud, aggressive, a little bit more confrontational about things. The biggest thing I learned is if you allow people that are around you to do what they can do and get to the destination that you want, but in their own way, it's way more powerful and empowering. And they have a way more investment into you and your business. And sometimes looking back, it was like, I don't need to do everything because then it works against you because then you're stuck doing everything. Hey there, go-getters. I'm Mikey Vashu, host of Busy Done Better, the podcast designed to help you embrace and enjoy your busy work life. A programmer since the age of 12, my journey has taken me from an employee to business owner and founder of Booked In Online Scheduling. But I'm not here to brag about my success or sell you my 10-step plan. The truth is, on many days, I still struggle to keep it all together. Wearing too many hats, having to leave when I don't feel like a leader, solving problems I know little about, struggling to be present with family when all I can do is think about work. Whether you're running a $10 million company, a small business, or working a demanding job, you're likely familiar with these challenges. On this podcast, we examine the dark side of business life, significance of mental health, dynamics of remote work, and the ever-changing meaning of work-life balance, and hopefully make your busy and hectic day a little more interesting and enjoyable. In this episode, we welcome our latest guest, Adam Pimentel. From an early age, Adam always knew he wanted to run a business. His entrepreneurial journey started at 19 when he bought a restaurant, later venturing into hairstyling and eventually running a successful salon. Adam discusses how lessons learned from his restaurant venture helped him become a successful salon owner. He emphasizes the value of perseverance, the importance of knowing your numbers, how a decision is a good decision, and explains how he evolved from being an angry boss to an empowering leader. All this plus insights and tips such as knowing when to expand your business, how to take time off, and finding time for yourself. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Welcome, uh, welcome, Adam, to the Busy Done Better podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, taking the time to do this. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I've done a little bit of uh, research on you. Of course, we know each other. We've been known each other for a number of years now. Yes. You're my uh, number one hairstylist. So <laughs> keep me looking. Uh, yeah. Um, although I'm due for a haircut. I think I'm in tomorrow. So. Yeah, I think it is very, yeah. yeah it's about <laughs> so, that time. Yeah. Maybe we should have done this after the haircut. <laughs> yeah. Keeping it real, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you're... Um, you're obviously a hairstylist. You're a salon owner. From what I understand, you were quite. A, you were a teacher for quite a while. You did uh, courses in hairstyling. You were involved yeah. in Toronto Fashion Week, a competitor as well. And previous to that, you were a restaurant owner of one of my favorite restaurants, actually Vesuvio. Yeah. So it's quite a quite an array of 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 entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe just take me through. Let's start with, did you do anything before restaurants? Like So restaurants were really sort of like the first step. I had worked in restaurants my entire life. Um, my first job, always in the hospitality industry. And I did do um, 
Red River for hotel and restaurant administration. So all kind of front end kind of stuff. And then this opportunity to buy this restaurant, the studio that had been there for a very long time and had changed owners. They had it for a short period of time. And there was a couple different incarnations of the sort of running management, but it just ended up in the end being that I was going to buy it off these people at 19 wow. and run this restaurant. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like 19 years old, 19 oh. years old. Um, Where'd you get, where'd you get the money? So I had, was very, well, I had like a hundred bucks to my name at 19. And I was very fortunate. The restaurant really wasn't valued at that high at that time because it was kind of on its way down. Um, And so I was fortunate that my parents were able to help me out and invest in it. Um, And so they did help me with a lot of sweat equity as well, but a lot of capital. Um, And really at the time, it really wasn't that, it really was a low amount of money. So it didn't seem like a crazy investment for my parents. That was going to be kind of one way or another. And they did believe in me. I was always just a worker that that they knew no matter what, I was going to work very hard at it. And that's how it started and did that for about five years until I quickly realized that it's not the best, it's a tough industry to do well um, and to make a lot of money. And then, uh, and then that's how my journey into hair went. It was like, okay, I was like 25. I'd sold this. I was still young. I was still living at home. So I had, you know, some comfort. I didn't have a lot of expenses. I could sell this business for a small amount of money and kind of come out with like paying a little bit of off. I had a down payment on a house, nothing crazy, but I just knew I didn't want to do that long-term. And then it was like, Hey, what do I want to do now? And I'd always wanted to go into hair. My mother had owned uh, two hair salons growing up and was always in that industry. So I was really familiar with it. And 10 or 11 years old, I was sweeping hair. And so I always wanted to do it, but didn't think it was a really viable business. And then, and then that's when I decided to go into hair. And then that was kind of my last sort of journey into that. And then eventually I'm opening up a salon, which always my passion has always been more the entrepreneurial side of things. Yeah. Which is yeah. the actual skill set. And like, how do how does a business run? How does it work? Staff and that kind of thing. So, yeah, you got started pretty early. Like 19 is, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm curious because at 19, for me, I wasn't thinking about running a business, although I, I guess I was always doing entrepreneurial things here and there. Um, always looking for you know your own way to make a buck here and there, but yeah, uh, and like starting a business in nineteen, that's that's pretty ballsy. Uh, I did not know what the hell I was doing, <laughs> and I took over an existing business, which was very tough. And I thought that would actually be the easier way. Okay, and obviously, like my mother being in the business, in a business, kind of understood. My dad had done the books for her, so they kind of understood how a small business ran. So they were definitely good right. resource. And a restaurant that I had worked for. The, the owners of that restaurant really guided me. They were like, I would call them being like, what's this tax form? Like, what do I have to do for this? You okay. know, Because there's no school for entrepreneurship, really. There's lessons you can learn, but when you're actually in it, it's different. And I was in Red River doing hotel and restaurant administration. And it was like, this is kind of my end goal. So why don't I just try it and see what happens? Yeah. What did you, what did you find at the beginning of the restaurant? So we'll get to there hairstyling obviously yeah. just to finish off the restaurant part of it what what did you find what did you find was the toughest was it operations was it marketing was it honestly it was like keeping this business afloat like how are you working so hard yet making no money um and so trying to figure out that and like having ideas in your mind about how a business should be run but then the reality of it in the other hand and being like okay this is great we need say all the staff and chairs and stuff, but really what it comes down to having like a lot of heart 
and really believing in what you're doing because you have to have so much passion and drive because you have to get through so much BS and there's such a low profit margin in that industry. So I think within the first year, I quickly realized like, I can't run it like the idea of a restaurant. I had to adapt. And that's when what, I- What idea, what do you mean by idea of a restaurant? So in your mind, in a business, and I'm sure you have this running a business when you talk to other people that don't, it's like, oh, you know, you can take vacation anytime. You can do, you work for yourself. You have no boss. Like, no, my bosses are all of my employees and all of my customers are my boss. So I actually have way more bosses than you do. I have to work for everybody. <laughs> and I think that's the biggest misconception when you're sort of, you know, you, they think you're the big cheese and you can just kind of slag off. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, I was there mopping the floor and cleaning the floors on my hands and knees when the dishwasher called in sick. It wasn't anybody else going to mm -hmm. take that. And I think in the beginning, it was like, oh, I have, you know, so a typical run of a restaurant, I'm going to have my chef, I'm going to have a hostess, I'm going to have all this staff do these roles. And then it's like, okay, they're all going to know what to do. And all going to know what to do. And if they don't, I'm supposed to know what to do. And I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then you have to somehow say, oh, wait, like it's dollars and cents. Oh, I have too much payroll, but I need these. Like, how do you balance it? And so you just learn, you learn as you go and you, would, and, and you have to adjust quickly. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you feel you took out of that experience of running a restaurant that really helped you with running a salon later? My success in my salon is so directly correlated to, and I want to say a failure in my restaurant. You can call it whatever you want, but it didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. And I always so, loved the food there. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And I, I even miss it. And it was very good. And it's funny because in the end, I got it to a point where it was like in the black and doing well. And then I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm done now. Maybe it's time to move on, you know, a little boy, you know, talk about boring. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, we talked about that difficult. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, now it's settled. How do I just yeah. mess now I'm bored. up? Yeah, let's throw some rocks in the still water, you know? <laughs> and so in my biggest thing, I would say, is my relationship to the people that work for me and work with me. I think in the beginning, I ran the restaurant like a traditional, uh, not a leader, but as a boss. I was just loud, aggressive, a little bit more confrontational about things. And if it wasn't done my way, it felt like it was completely wrong. And I think the biggest thing I learned is if you allow people that are around you to do what they can do and get to the destination that you want, but in their own way, it's way more powerful and empowering. And they have a way more investment into you and your business. So I had staff at the restaurant that had worked for years. I still see them where they're great, but I just think I just led because I was young and I felt inexperienced. I had to bark really loud. That makes sense. I had to yeah. feel like I had to look like a boss. And sometimes looking back, it was like, I don't need to do everything because then yeah. it works against you because then you're stuck doing everything. That's common. I think that's a common just a human thing right yeah like, like fake it till you make it type of thing right like it's, yeah how do i fake being a boss well i i'll be really loud and yell yeah. lots and what do i see you in know? the movies what did what did my old bosses yeah. do that i hated let's just become them <laughs> yeah. like okay well i hated them but i'll just end up acting exactly yeah. like them I've become the boss that I always hated. Great. Yeah. And then one day they were like, one day you're going to be miserable and grumpy too. And you're like, oh, wait, I, I did get there. Yeah. 
but you know, people, people will work for you and work hard if you believe in them, I think for the most part. And if they don't get rid of them and just like also how important knowing your numbers are and ideas, because that's a big thing with business. I think a lot of people that get into entrepreneurship have great ideas and are good at the skill of that business, but not necessarily good at business. And that's, I think, where if you can marry the two, it can be really successful in any business, right? And I think those are the people that end up being the most sort of successful, whatever you classify as successful, but that they understand how to properly run a business and get yourself out of the way usually. And usually the idea of a business at the beginning is very different year one, two, three, four, 10 years in, and you kind of have to let it go where it wants to go. And then you need to be adapt. And I think sometimes as owners and boss, you want everyone to adapt around you. I, you said some interesting things there in terms of the finance, uh, financial part of it, the numbers. That's something that I consistently hear from other entrepreneurs who have successfully made, well, I'd say made it, but survived and and yeah. you run successful businesses long term. Can eat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's a huge part of it. And and many of them talk about that side of it. Uh I I fully believe that. I think for me it's been the same thing. I was lucky because I'm a numbers person. Uh yeah. I I sorry, that was a always a strength of mine. So uh I think that's there's for me, there's been so many painful things I've had to learn that I never really wanted to learn and but the backbone of how I've survived sort of and still have you know I think a a good business a thriving business is is the numbers at the end of the day it's a business is money in money out <laughs> you know you've got a business the, it you got to stay on the right side of that exactly so. <laughs> if, if it's shut down you know like yeah. you can't offer what you offer but I'm still not great at numbers it's still not my thing I'm like ideas and concepts but I've learned to put people in place that understand it more and can help me with it and also being just aware of it I'm still not great at it but I understand what those numbers mean and I can look right. at it And I can say, okay, like spending too much here, what percentages, how do I make sure that I'm still giving people what they want by also being profitable? I mean, businesses need to be profitable. That's the point. But nobody opens up and becomes an entrepreneur because they want to be rich. Some people do, but it's really because you have a passion for something. That's what drives it. Yeah. I, I, I question that. Because okay. I think I think at the beginning, at the very beginning, if you've never been an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I think everyone wants to be yes. rich. I think yes. that's why they yes. do it. Yeah. But and you're like, uh, just keep the pension, just stay and retire <laughs> yeah. at 65. But the ones who survive and are kind of lifetime entrepreneurs don't end up doing it to be rich. I mean, some of them get lucky, sure. But yeah, you're right in terms of you get you very early, you get to that point where it's just like, this is just too much work. I can make yeah you know, easier money somewhere else as a job yeah. and you're out and you go, and it's great. You've had that experience. Now, you know, move on. I think yeah. it's fantastic. I think if you're ever, if you have the itch, try it, you know, yeah. uh, it may turn out to, but I think you get to that point early where you have to decide, oh my God, there's, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Do I want to go through the pain of, and 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 then you realize slowly over time that it was, that it's not the money that keeps you in it. Um, and, and again, unless you're one of the super lucky ones and everything. But I think the money the line and like, just things take Nobody's at me, the top from not working hard. Yeah. And, working hard. That's all. And, and hard work 
is the the word that's thrown around a lot and i and i think that's a huge part of it and have you ever watched the founder the movie the founder with uh about uh, ray Kroc, the mcdonald's founder no no <laughs> fantastic movie okay. um one down. michael keaton is the, oh i love yeah 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 fantastic movie and in that movie at the sort of towards the beginning he's uh he's a he's a vacuum salesman so he's driving around the country this is back in whatever i don't know 60s 70s yeah. whenever it was or earlier and he's driving around the country and you know it's he's he's kind of not not doing well selling the vacuums and but he's persist he's like you know i'm gonna make it a person yeah and he keeps playing this record of this old guy like maybe the first sales guru ever or something you know i don't know he Sell like yourself. it's like a tape yeah exactly yeah. where he like and all this guy talks about is it's not about how smart you are it's not about talent in his words are like there's you know fool uh, educated fools are are born every minute you know mm -hmm. that sort of thing at the end of the day it's perseverance and yeah. and just it's just lasting basically yeah. it's just and and i always think that really stuck with me because i think that's at so, so if you peel back the onion that's kind of where what's at the very core mm -hmm. and i think there's one layer deeper than that which is pain tolerance i really think it comes down to pain and uh -huh. and you know it's 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 a kind of a massive a sadistic way to look at it but but mm -hmm. i think it is if if you you get into it because maybe you want to be rich maybe you want yeah. you know, usually but then there's all these massive challenges that you have to deal with right people numbers maybe you're not good at numbers maybe you're not good at people maybe you're people. Yeah. maybe you're yeah you know maybe you don't even understand the product or service that you bought the business in right mm -hmm. or whatever yeah and so you have facets. yeah and you have to learn all these things that maybe you would have never ever wanted to pick learning like for me it's sales and marketing right like i that's my don't like that area of the business uh but that's something i've had to learn and have to get better at and myself and i have to learn to lead in that area and you know start yeah. putting together more and more of a team over time that can help out and relying on people but uh and it's pain and there's days where i pull my hair out because it's just i'm not wired for this stuff and pain points it's 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 pain but you just keep you just keep going and you don't it's let the pain keeping that idea yeah. of this bigger picture always yeah. that's driving you through yeah yeah because i know my wife many times my wife will look i don't understand why you would yeah you to put yourself through this pain like it's oh yeah it's not comprehensible <laughs> well and i think you know we talked about this too it's like getting to a certain point i think we thrive in like the perseverance and people thinking yeah. can do it and mostly ourselves yeah. mostly self-talk it's not really other people i don't really care that much about what other people think yeah. but we do to a degree but it's mostly myself it's like my little voice i'm doing like a course right now on this too it's like a your little voice in just your head and there's good and bad of it it's like which one are you listening to and which one is like okay i'm not good enough i want to finish because i'm the first person to be like i don't like this i'm not doing it I don't care. I don't need to win at anything. Like I don't need to prove anything to everybody. But for some reason in business and entrepreneurships, when you really believe in it, it's like nothing else matters. And yeah. I know I can see because I can see the end goal already. And it's just the way to get there. It's, yeah. it's not, I don't see the pain in front of me. I see 
five steps past that pain and I know. And sometimes you get to that block and you're like, I don't know if this is worth it or not. And that's where you have to really make big decisions. Make but decisions, yeah. For the most part, it's like, I know this is shit, but I'm gonna, I know, I can see five steps past that. I know where this is going. And people only see that around me sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, like, that makes sense. Is it sense. worth it? Is this pain worth it? It's like, yeah, it is. I know this struggle is going to be worth it. And sometimes you get there and it's not what you thought it was going to be. And sometimes it's even better, like where I'm at. I, you know, I'm a big goal setter. I like ideas, but like none of it is like what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I didn't think I'd be here at this point. Thing and make the amount of money that I'm going to make during certain things. You know, my goal was so much less than where I'm at. So now I'm like, well, what? It's endless. It's endless what you can do if you actually believe in it. Yeah. How much of it do you think is exactly that? Is is that as in the, the whole control aspect? I know for me in the, my darkest sort of days or weeks, months, years, <laughs> I know. there's been short and long stretches, <laughs> I know. Um, you know, you start to think of alternatives, right? Well, you know, what else could, and to me, it always, I kept going because I didn't like any of the alternatives. And to me, going to an environment where I didn't, I want to get used to having full control. And even though full control means a lot of pain and having to learn things you really didn't want to learn and all those things, but having to go to an environment where maybe the job will be easier and you won't have to stress so much, but then you'll have to answer Like you'll have to do things that like, to me, that's just, I'm willing to go through any pain to avoid that, you know? And that yeah. that's what drives me through the darkest moments a lot of times and it's kind of silly in a way but it's like i don't even know if it drives me because it's not even a, a an option yeah so it's like no 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 like the thought of working for somebody else dogs are barking the thought of doing something else for somebody else that doesn't directly affect me is not even on my radar yeah it's like if this salon doesn't fail, I can work for somebody else, but it's never going to be long-term. And out of the years since I was, say, 20 from, say, adult working age, even since I was working at 15, I always liked work because I did like money. I wanted money. I like things. But I've worked for maybe somebody else for like 12 to 15%. I think I worked out the numbers, like something very minuscule, but it was always, I knew that where I was going. Yeah. So it's like, I can work for you. I'm going to learn from you and what not to do and what to do. But I know that I'm not going to be staying here as a hairstylist or staying here as a manager of a restaurant. Like I knew I was going to, and that's why I was also a really good employee. I was a great mm. employee because it was like, I wasn't like F the man. I understood the boss, but I was like, Hey, this is, I see how he's doing this. I don't think I would like to do this in my future. I always tried to like, and whether I was conscious of that or not, I think some, a lot of it was subconscious, but I always was like, hmm, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't look right. Maybe this isn't how I'd like to run my business, but this is how I would like to run my business. Hmm. So you always knew, even when working for other people, you always knew that you we're going to be running your own business. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, it's not even, it's like, this is just what I'm, I'm, I think I'm best at and I'm meant to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't like, it's funny, yeah, you say, I don't like people telling me what to do, but people tell me what to do all the time. I'm at the behest <laughs> of my employees, yeah. of my landlord, yeah. of the city, of uh, tax, of the government. You are 
Yeah, Everyone is right. telling you what to do. So that's why I that's think right. when they say entrepreneurship, it's like, oh, you're your own boss. It's like, I am not. I have to answer to everyone else. And you only have to answer to your boss. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, I can navigate that. And I think I'm just good at, better at that than. Yeah. Everybody has handcuffs, right? We're, mm. we're not, you, nobody yeah. lives a life of not having that un, un, unless maybe you're uh, a buddhist monk living in, yeah. in, in the <laughs> but even then that's something. your yeah. <laughs> yeah. silence is your hand cup i guess i don't know but <laughs> yeah everybody so it's it's almost like you know life's about picking the handcuffs you're willing to you're, yeah you're and what most yeah, willing to wear feels, yeah exactly <laughs> and that's the thing i think so many people live and work for other people and live for other people and i think i try to live for myself first all of the little things having to worry about, I'm sure you've had stretches where you go to bed at night with a lot of worries on your mind, whether it's about, you know, about the business or. Of course. Right. And I, I, I guess that's many, that happens with jobs too. You have a job, a stressful job, you're going through uh, a phase where maybe there's a lot of pressure for you to put out a, some work or report or something, mm -hmm. deadlines, right? So there's stress there too. But I think what I've seen is the, the having to worry about, I think when you start a business and you don't, you, you don't realize how many things are done for you when you have a job, all the little things, right? And then you start a business and you realize, wow, there's a, like a lot of things that you have to, I'm little still learning. things I'm still that you have learning. to do. Yes. And I, I think for, I know for many that have like, that's, that's right away they're out. Because like, oh, there's, there's just no way. Why would anyone want to deal with all this stuff? Right? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot. Of well, work. and I think that I found this when I was so when I used to teach with hair, I used to go into a lot of different salons across Canada, and I'd go in, they'd hire me and I would teach a cutting class or whatever. And so I was able to see all different types of salons and businesses. And of those, like, I quickly realized, like, a very low number uh, businesses were actual businesses. A lot of them are ways to be an employee of yourself. And mm. I think there's a big difference between running a business and being self-employed. And a lot of times you marry the two and they are very different. What and do you so think is key, kind of the key differentiator? The key differentiator is I think allowing the business to dictate where it wants to go and self-employed individuals are just about how they want it, how I want it, how I see it. But anytime you see big businesses, take McDonald's, for example, where they are today is not, was never on their goal sheet in 1962. Mm -hmm. It was, let's make the best burger at the best price. And then they allowed, that's why you see often other franchise and businesses not be able to achieve the same success and the success again is relative and not everybody wants to be mcdonald's but it's allowing it to say hey the the community and my customers are dictating where my business needs to go and that's always been a struggle for me an expansion of my business because it's like yeah we're at the top tier and everyone's like you should grow you should expand and it's like but then it's a different business Mm. and then i'm in a different type of business small business and small business is tough and so it's like, people think you just because you're busy, you should expand and move. But it's like, no, are you profitable? Are you doing everything right? And then knowing that bigger isn't always better, and yeah. but allowing it to dictate what your clients and customers need. And I think 
in our industry, there's a lot of self-employed people, but it's the quickest way to just buy yourself a job. Yeah. And it can you remove yourself out of your business and it still run? I think that's true entrepreneurship in the end. Yeah. That's a that's a great description. And it doesn't devalue the other. They're both very important and they mm -hmm. serve very good purposes. And it's not that one is better than the other. But I think when you get into that more entrepreneurship business, because business, if you can run a business, you could be able to run most businesses to a degree because it's about managing expectations. And then it's like, yeah, how do you allow, get yourself out of the way and what I believe for the greater of what this business could be because it becomes its own entity. Yeah. And we associate so much ourselves with our businesses. And when you yeah. can kind of remove those two, that's when it's almost like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. I think that's probably they, they talk about the transition, you know, that the entrepreneur or entrepreneurs, if you have multiple founders have to make at each kind of, pivotal stage of business mm -hmm. for businesses that grow to like be really large and, and scaling is tough. Yeah. And I think there's an aspect to it for like personal in terms of why did you start the business? What do you enjoy about the business? And at a certain point you get to a point where it's just like, you know, this is a nice balance and knowing like we, you and I talk about more yeah. is not more is not better. And you have to, and we're all, we're, we live in a very, you know, we're, we're advertised and we're, always being, uh, you know, told that we should have more, we deserve more, right? All that sort of thing. So there's always that trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to, yeah. you know, yeah, status like and all of that. All so that, that drives a lot of things, but that, that, uh, that can sort of take you from a spot where, you know, you, you, you have a really nice balanced life, but then, you know, ego kind of pulls you a little bit farther yeah. and into a different domain. And all of a sudden yeah. that balance is ruined and now you're miserable, but maybe you've been able to obtain, <laughs> other things, but you've lost. I, I think that knowing, and that, that's the part of, I think entrepreneurism or job or whatever, it's just all part of the life journey. You're always learning about yourself, right? And and what you like. And But but I think the point you made about scaling and going, growing to that next level, being really aware of what that's going to entail for you and that your role is going to change unless, I mean, there's ways you can bring in other people to help you yeah. scale and you still stay in your role, whatever. But, but most likely your role is going to change. And is that the job that you want? Right. right. And they're very um, different jobs. And maybe it would be more lucrative, but there's now more risk. Now, maybe you have yeah. nice stability, but now you're reintroducing risk. Is that something you want? Is it a good time, you know, in life to do it and that sort of thing? So you're always battling that. But then on the other side, which you and I know I've talked about many times, which is the whole complacency thing, right? Uh, you get to a point, it's just like, oh, you know, it's a bad nice word. And great. And now it's just <laughs> like you got the itch again, right? It's like, uh, mess everything up, you know. <laughs> Let's see, I got to blow something up. I got to blow yeah. something up. Well, you kind of, your goal is not, you know, when you kind of start out, yes. <laughs> I want you want to make money. I want to do what I love. I want to enjoy going to work every day. And it's like to make money. Yes. It's like, but I also want to love what I'm doing the whole way. And so like the struggle is there. And then you get to this point, you're like, I thought this was the goal was to like 
make enough money, travel, do all these things. And then you're there and you're just like, okay, now, now what do I do? Because you're so used to, since I started being an entrepreneur at say 19 and basically have been self-employed for the majority of those other than probably two years up into the last 20 years that now what I'm just used to just being like, just putting my lips above the water, you know, it's like right here. And now you're kind of the water's here and you're like, Hmm, this is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I think we're like, just go back uh, to the deep end, you know. I think we're just masochists. I think so too. Addicted to stress, you know, and there's like, not that's enough. That's my biggest struggle now. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I have everything I thought I wanted and more than I thought I would get at right. this point. And now I'm like, eh. yeah. but you know, it's like also trying to think big picture because I think sometimes to an entrepreneur, yeah, you always think about the future and like where you're going. But sometimes you don't think about it really as the whole picture. Yeah. Because yeah. then you also are though, I don't want to be those people at like 85 being like still working. Nobody can do what I can do. You know, <laughs> like no thing. I always think I'll be working for a long time. Uh, my parents, my dad just is literally just retired like end of last year. So a week ago. <laughs> so what, how old would he be? At like, uh, mid like 70s, 60s? 74. Yeah, he's okay. turning 75 this year. So he, uh, and and he, it's a funny good with European immigrant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny they my mom my mom retired I think right at 65 and she could have retired earlier but also wasn't ready. Yeah. But that was it. They I remember both of them in they just weren't certain points even though they could they weren't ready. Both of them yeah. I I'm, I'm not ready. It was and it was just a flat out I'm not ready. There was no like they just felt it. Not ready. Yeah. I I I still want to work. And then one day it just, boom, change. I'm ready. I'm done. Yeah. And yeah. they were done. Like they just were done to move to, to, uh, the next phase of phase of life, you know, enjoying traveling and all yeah. this sort of thing. So it, that, that was the most interesting thing for me was how they just knew. And it was, it's kind of like, you know, when you, <laughs> people always ask, like, how do you know when you meet someone, right? How yeah, do you know you just it's know the one? How do you, you just know? And you can't yeah. kind of describe it, right? Like it's like, yeah. well, you could you could sit there and try to describe it, but it's just like it's not really going to do it justice. You just, gut feeling. just know. And it and it feels like, yeah, it, it was seemed like it, that was interesting to me because I I always kind of thought you well, you pick a number and then just that date yeah. comes and then that's it. But it's not like that. It's you don't know what that number is. You just yeah. Well, you have these ideas of what it looks like, but things can change so rapidly. Yeah. I think that's the the entrepreneurs as a whole. And I think ones that are maybe a little bit more in tune with it than others have a higher association with that gut feeling. And so that that sense of like, it just is, it's like, you know, when I'm making decisions for work, it's like, I don't really know why, but I think this is where it needs to go. And yeah. it's not always the perfect decision. But it usually, when you really trust your gut, it usually ends up being the right decision. And yeah. so being more in tune with that, I think as entrepreneurs is what makes us better decision makers, better people to trust. Cause it's like, you know what? I don't really know why this is the right decision, but it just is. And I just, I can feel it and I know it. And if it's not, I'll be able to pivot and make another decision anyways. And the ability to make decisions. Yeah. I think that's it at the end is, is just, make a decision move on if it's a yeah. failure you know then, then no failure is my business it's like else. the best thing you can do yeah. like because the people who don't fail i have no appeal for and those are necessary those are not people who will be entrepreneurs because you have to be willing 
to risk a lot in order to gain a lot. And most people like stability and entrepreneurship yeah. is not a stable business, no. but it can be very lucrative and very good, but it is not a stable, but nothing is stable when you actually break it down. So you can, yeah, I've always thought that having a job has a better, a stronger illusion of stability. Yeah. Uh, you because you just simply don't worry about there could be a lot of bad things going on in your company but you don't see it because it's hidden from you yeah so you don't course. worry about your job until it becomes apparent that you need to worry about your job, yeah. you know, type of thing but i found with running a business no matter how good things are even in the best years you're always worrying about <laughs> What about next year? <laughs> what about I next year? I just quarter? experienced this too. We had a great Christmas holiday, but you something were a little rest. different. Yeah. Costs are astronomical right now. Inflation is really crazy, especially for small business. Like the bills I'm getting now are like double what they used to be last year because everything's up for renewal, insurance, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're all automatically, I'm like, okay, I got to make a choice. It's just like, no, no, no. You just need to sit with it in big picture because- you don't want to do anything irrational or just driven by high emotion in the business. You have to sort of let that settle and say, okay, does this make sense in a year from now to make a decision today? And I think that's, that's tough for a lot of people because people are more reactive. They just want to see something, have an answer, black and white. And it's just like entrepreneurship is nothing but gray. Yeah. Yeah. And a decision I would have made a year ago is not the decision I would have made today. Yeah. It's rarely the same choice, you know? Have you ever had, or can you remember an instance where you didn't go with your intuition, you went against your intuition and it worked out? Hmm. Honestly, no, because <laughs> I think if I'm going to make the decision, there's got to be something enough in me that thinks it's a good enough decision. So there's been a couple times recently where we were presented with an opportunity to expand and I tried to convince myself that it was a right decision. Mm -hmm. And then really at the end of the day, when I really sat with it, I knew it wasn't the right decision and I didn't make that decision. And I'm very thankful I didn't because I think I would be in a very stressful point and back to square one, which I'm not ready to be at. Again, which maybe that may change, but I think I honestly cannot remember a time when I made a decision that I at least wasn't somewhat invested in. And I'm not a backwards thinker either, so I'm sure there is, but I don't right. know who cares. Yeah. It's done. You know, yeah. this is where I'm at today. So like maybe sometimes with employees, usually I regret not uh, letting people go that don't fit in with our culture or team earlier. I think that's learning because I still love people and I want people to really do well, but they have to want to do well. So I think those decisions, which end up becoming more emotional decisions right? because it feels like, because I, you know, not feel bad, but you just like, you know, you want people to win. And, but if they're not wanting to win themselves, you can't, you can't make them. So that's maybe still to this day. And I feel like that'll always be my, I don't know if that'll change. Yeah. Okay too. I I think everybody, I mean, we're all humans, right? So it's mm -hmm. you can't just become a robot. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Everyone like, has emotions. Like some people are more thinkers, some people are more feelers, but 
I think everybody to some degree is a feeler, right? So it's, yeah, and every like sometimes you just throw things against the wall and some things stick and some things don't, and you just kind of move yeah. on. But like, uh, you know, we're talking about decisions, and I'm really trying to believe like a decision is a good decision. Yeah, oh, just that's make the great, damn decision. Yeah, that's and a great. Then, that's a great quote, actually. A that's decision my, is a good decision. Yeah, and honestly, I want to say the last year and a half to two years, that's really been my mantra because just reminding myself like, okay, when I'm really struggling between two, sometimes decisions are easy. So that's obviously intrinsically what it's supposed to be. When I'm starting, just make a damn decision and, yeah. and then adjust accordingly and don't worry about what ifs because there's always what ifs. Just yeah. make a choice. You mentioned a few times while you're talking, sit, you sit with it, you sit with it. I, I'm a meditator. I don't know if you meditate. Um, so I, that's a, obviously a formal way to sit with mm. things. Uh, but there's, there's kind of, I, I don't, I think people, you know, I bring up meditation sometimes and like, Oh, it's not for me. It's not for me, whatever. And some people try it. Some people don't, some people don't have time. All good, whatever. Uh, but I think people do meditative things in their life. They just don't realize it. And mm -hmm. anytime you just sit with something, that's a form of meditation. And yeah. that whole idea of, I think it's detaching yourself from the emotions that are the storm mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. <laughs> happening inside yeah. and knowing that you right, maybe you're being pulled to make this, the decision mm -hmm. this way or that way, but knowing, okay, well, I could decide on this, but right now there's a storm going on inside and I'm not confident yeah. that the decision I'm going to make isn't going to be influenced by that storm. Yeah. So I'm just going to sit with it and let that storm die down. Yeah. And then, and then I find the decision just becomes clear mm -hmm. once right. the storm calms. I said it better myself. Yeah. You know, and you don't, you kind of, it's kind of like sometimes you're sitting there going, oh, is it A or B or A or B? Oh, I don't know. And you got all these emotions and, and it seems like, how can I choose, you know? Yeah. 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 But then you just sit with it and it just becomes really easy. Like, oh, yep. it's, it's obviously A and it's like not even. Yeah. Some decisions close. become so clear. <laughs> you know? And then the but ones when the emotions are going, they make you believe like it's such a hard yeah. decision. You know, well, when emotion is high, intellect is low and not all decisions need to be intellectual. Some need to be emotional, but it's like, is this going to That's affect me in five years from now? Yes or no. And if the answer is no, I really try to spend very little time worrying about it and more time thinking about it, about that decision. If it's going to affect me in five years from now and some decisions we can make today, well, but very few then I have to spend a little bit more time kind of in that stress mode. Like people think stress is bad, but no stress is good. So then I have to be in that little bit of like panic. I have to be in the dust and then let it settle. If it's going to affect me, if it's not going to affect me in a couple of years from now, I can sort of sit with it pretty quick mm. and allow it, you know, does this going to matter next year? So it's, it seems like you always have kind of a, a long-term uh, view of your decisions. You, you kind of don't, yeah, I think I've always been a, it's funny because now I think it's muddier than ever. You sit like with meditating and stuff. Like I love meditating. I don't do it as a daily practice. I wish I did. I have at some points, but I know that I can always kind of go back to it and I know how it works. So when I need it, it's there mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I like 
But when I did do it on a daily, as a daily ritual, it is amazing. Um, but I'm, that's sort of also typical me. I'll like fall into something. So, and then just be like, oh yeah, that was great. I also go through phases yeah. uh, where I, I just don't, don't do it. Sometimes meditating is now just walking, going for a walk without yeah. any music or my yeah. phone. So then I allow my mind to go freaking berserk and bounce all these ideas and just kind of let it jumble up in there. Whereas like, yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to have a podcast in or listening to something. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think that like, I try to always think big picture, but yet when you say that, it's like, I have a, such an unclear view of the future, but I just sometimes know that I don't want this in my future. I maybe don't always know what I want, but I more so know what I don't want. Right. Yeah. I guess what I was referring to is you, 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 you've said on a number of occasions, you know, how will this affect me two years from now, five mm -hmm. years from now? Right. So yeah, uh, that's how I was referring to. Yeah. People always are so reactive to things. It's like, mm -hmm. this decision is so great. It's like, Hey, wait, take a minute. Is this decision going to matter? Like, or this fight or this argument about um, bad construction about something or firing this person or hiring this person? How is this going to affect you in a couple of years? Most of the time it really doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like that's having a high lot of things. That that's a good I think that's a good way to look at it. I I kind of sometimes I think of life in phases instead mm -hmm. of like when you're 20 years old, you're not I mean, you're not worrying about your retirement, right? When right. you're 10, you're not worried about your career. Yeah. <laughs> you know, type of thing. Um and I I just think about parenting here for a second in that sometimes I catch myself trying to teach my kids about things that they're going to they need no to know when they're adults, but they're not even teenagers. Right. And yeah. then I remind myself, just help them prepare them for the next phase. You don't have to prepare them for four phases from now. Right. And that's, that's something and you I don't have to give them the bit. answers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Right. And you don't, you, I mean, you have answers for what works for you, but <laughs> They may not be the answer yeah. for them, right? Um, well, and then I think that probably makes you a good entrepreneur too and with your staff and employees because good leaders really lead from behind. I think they support, they bring everyone into a common goal. But I used to come from a place where I know better, but they don't know what I know. And you can't yeah. tell people, they need to learn it. And learned information is so much more powerful than taught or said information so if you can cause people to learn with you they will be way more invested in you and your ideas mm. because then they have ownership over it because they were able right. to discover things on their own how things right. work efficiencies and often if you let people around you your staff guide you there's they have other ideas that you never thought about it because you're tainted from your experiences and yeah. they don't have the same entrepreneur so they're saying we'll do it like this and you think ah oh, you don't you don't know what it's like, but it's like, oh, maybe actually I should listen to you and try it. And often you're like, huh, that worked. Yeah. And I would have never done it because I either had a bad experience about it in the past and it's tainted that experience in the future, or you just know too much about certain things. So it's like, sometimes I go in and be like, well, let's see how this plays out. I know how this, and it's like, huh, it didn't actually go where I thought it was going. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. But how many times do we say this? We're like, yeah. sure, you can make this decision, but I know this is going to fail. And sometimes it does, but then now they understand you more. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure that's like with kids. It's like, 
not like I told you so, but it's like, Hey, see, now we can talk about it. You know, like a huge difference between going in and saying, I've been down this road. I know where it goes. We're not doing this or this is a bad idea. Yada, yada versus, you know, I've been down a similar road. Here's what happened to me. To Here me. was my experience yes. and that's it. Just leave and that's it at it. that, right? Yeah. <laughs> adding to the conversation, your experience, you're, you're sort of adding information to the you, but you're not you know, killing the mix it but it's just it one real just the realization well that's just my experience and that's just what happened in that particular instance and if you doesn't mean if you run that through that scenario again the exact same thing would happen right yeah uh, and also sometimes just being like i don't have the answers i don't know so yeah. let's just see how this plays out yeah. like because often too, as a leader, you know, everyone wants you when things go wrong, it's like you have to, and then you feel this pressure to like come up with an answer. And sometimes and now I'm more confident in saying, I don't know what I don't know. Whereas before I wasn't, before I really had to have an answer. And even if it was the wrong answer, I would double down on it and take that to the death. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. Cause it could guess, be wrong. Every I now. guess cause, cause yeah. Leadership yeah. was still a new thing. Yeah. Make, right? so, and you learn, I would not be. I didn't have my past experiences. They always say like the best entrepreneurs are the ones that have had a few businesses, right? And failed. And so like, if I didn't have that other experience, I would not have been, I don't think as unconventionally successful with what I have as a business owner. Because on the outside, our business is small. We have a lot of staff. A lot of people wonder why they would want to work for us because it's a small space. We double shift. We don't have a lot of flexibility, but we create a good environment for people Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. We're in the people business. That's what we sell is relationships and in, in, in hair. And when you're in retail and stuff like that, it's about not always about the product you're selling. It's about how do you build those relationships and support. And so people have this idea of what looks good and it looks glitzy and glamorous, but like, can you pay your bills though? Yeah. <laughs> and I think without having that past experience, that would have been less like, paying my bills would have been less important than what it looked like. The yeah. Outside. Well, when you're, you're younger, you just don't have that many bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> That's also very true. And you the know, reason you're gonna... why I survived five years in the restaurant business is because I was able to still live at home. Okay. Like yeah, I to pay yeah. rent. I don't think I could have, <laughs> exactly. you know, how many well, times I paid myself and then just put that check right back into the bank Yeah, to pay for something was quite often. <laughs> And, you know, yeah, I mean, if when you're single and don't have dependents or that's great, you know, Mary, I, I don't, I, I, can, I can always, live in $10 on my bank account. Yeah, exactly. You can always <laughs> let's, and let's go out for, and I'll buy and the that, round of drinks. That's <laughs> what I know in the, in my twenties and thirties, like that's, I always in the back of my mind, wherever I was, I didn't have a ton of money or anything like that, but I was always yeah. comfortable with down yeah. having the downscale and, you know, rent, rent a room for a hundred bucks somewhere yeah. or eat craft dinner for a month. If because I you to. have the bigger picture. I didn't care. Like I knew. Important. Yeah. 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 I guess so. See, I think that in those moments, that's your, whether you know it or not, those are those moments where you're going to be like, I can do this because I know I'm going to be, this is not where I'm going to stay. Yeah. So I have no problem being in the weeds, you know, or being in this tough spot because I know I'm not going to be here yeah. for very long. Yeah. And I think when you think that there's no out or this is it, it becomes very dark and very hard as personally entrepreneurs. But it's like whenever I'm in a, you know, you talk about those months, weeks, years of just roughness, sometimes it is. And I feel like as you get older... Two, when you know more, life becomes more fragile, things become different. It's like 
what's actually important changes. And so it's allowing myself as an entrepreneur to adapt to say like 10 years ago, I wanted to have a million dollars in the bank like that and be able to retire at 50. And now it's like, maybe I want to work more, but I want to enjoy, but maybe not every doll, like not at the expense of other things that are important, time, relationships, travel, whatever becomes, whatever feeds you so you can give back to your staff and to your clients and to your customers. Yeah. Because when I don't take care of myself, I am not a present owner for sure. <laughs> it's like I so, come in miserable and I leave. Yeah. So th- that's that's actually a good segue into, you know, the health sort of how do you as entrepreneurs, obviously owning multiple businesses, owning a business, it's it can be very trying on 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 you know just the continuous stress and worrying and all of that uh, on your mental health. So what are some things that you developed to sort of stay on the right side of that over time? For me, working out, obviously, like everyone talks about yoga, some sort of personal development has always been a key for me. The reason why I taught a lot of the times, because I was part of the big corporation, I worked for L'Oreal, Redkin. So you would get sent to these trainings where they would fill you up with personal development so you could go out and public speak and all this stuff. And so for me, I need a lot of that in order to give so I can have more answers and to really grow people. But it really is just about taking time. And I'm realizing we talk about this too with travel, like this last trip, I was away for two weeks and it was the first time I was like, nobody can message me or text me except my manager. Whereas before I'm like, no, because what if my manager isn't available? I need to be available. Mm. And of course I'm going to be there in an emergency. The place is burning down, whatever, you know, to text me, but like X client didn't show up, whatever it is, something that, that can be dealt with in a funnel of authority. And that was a huge thing. So I had two weeks where I really didn't think about work and I came back and we dealt with a bit of a, a stressful month when I came back and I was like, I can totally deal with all this. Whereas if I hadn't, I wouldn't. So setting up clear boundaries for yourself and knowing that if I don't give myself fuel, I can't give it. And all you do as an entrepreneur is give, give, give. I think you really do because you want everything to do well and you want your family and whatever. So finding whatever feeds you. And for some people it's sitting for an hour in a dark room and reading, listening to music, whatever it is, going for a walk, meditating, therapy, talking it out with somebody who's neutral, business groups, whatever it is, you need to figure that out and mm-hmm. do that a lot because as your business gets bigger and busier, and now we have 16 staff, well, I only had three, I only had one when I first started. Hmm. And the interpersonal relationships with, as staff go, it's insane you have like 160 relationships when you have like 10 people because two people have relationships with one person. Like it's just the the dynamics are crazy. And Mm -hmm. so you have to realize that it doesn't just multiply by once it multiplies by hence every time you add somebody in. And so you just have to learn to fuel yourself, whatever you can do to take that. And that's gotta be, it's, it's different for everybody. I think once you figure that out, do more of that as possible. So being accountable, having business, whatever it is, other people that understand what you're going through. You know, we talk about that all the time. Even us just talking, it's like, oh, wait, I, I see you. (laughs) I know what you're going through and it's going to be okay. How do you find there's a, so 
one of the I don't know if you listened uh one of the previous podcasts uh uh I was talking to a, a guy named Joel and he's a tattoo artist out of Nanaimo and he was mentioning how he he gave me an interesting insight into tattoo he says you know a lot of times the tattoo sessions are like therapy sessions because people are there for a long time yeah. they're getting needled so they're in pain and man like they talk and a lot of stuff comes out yeah you crazy. know and I, I i was like wow that's never realized that you know so do you find i mean you and i obviously whenever i come in and get a haircut we have these super <laughs> sometimes quite deep discussions i know in the chair am i like unique in that aspect you don't normally have or do you, you find know, that do you find that you you like is is get you talk about this often with jobs that literally people touch another person tattoo artists massage therapists chiropractors hairdressers estheticians anybody where you're physically touching somebody there's automatically a level of intimacy with that person that sometimes and this is often what i manage with my other staff i feel like i've gotten a little bit better at navigating certain conversations so like me and your conversation might fuel me as well, but sometimes I can't go down that path with 10 other clients in a day because Mm. I still do hair and then I've got staff. And so for me, when I'm actually still, I'm still an employee of myself. So we talked about that before. If I really stop doing hair, then all of a sudden that energy gets transferred staff, but it's really teaching them to be like, you can't give everything about yourself. You can't take this stuff on. So it's learning to filter that, but it can be very heavy. And some days at work are like, oh man. <laughs> and they're literally paying you. So I think subconsciously they feel a little bit of ownership over that time, which is rightfully so. So it's like, but sometimes it's like, or other people's yeah. conversations at work where we have to be like debrief with other staff being like, are you okay? Like, you're hearing this person talk about all this trauma when you were going through trauma, but they don't know that because you don't want to, you want to be professional, but it's heavy. Sometimes it is very emotionally draining our jobs. Yeah. I I can imagine that. I can imagine that. I can imagine that there's probably a fair, like on the, I, I don't, I imagine you can't do your line of work and, and many similar lines of work. If you're, don't have the energy for those conversations yes and the best practitioners and the best hairdressers are never the best at their skill set they're the best people right yeah and then they can do pretty good hair that's those are the most successful hairdressers in our industry by far it's the ability to connect it's not you can be the best hairdresser in the world and if you don't have the right personality to mesh with those people you'll never do well if you can't connect with people so people come in for a haircut but they don't really come in for a haircut <laughs> nobody no client ever leaves because they had a shitty haircut or a crappy haircut they leave because their hairdresser didn't listen to them it's always the same anytime we get a new really client hair, it's like why did you leave your previous salon and it is almost unequivocally my hairdresser did not listen to me really and and that's maybe literally about like the type of haircut they want but also i think it goes deeper they didn't listen to you emotionally yeah Big time. It I is came not in, because you had a bad color or a bad hair. I came in and wanted to rant about my kids or my marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Hairstyles didn't want to listen, so I'm not coming back. And honestly, That's I think it's crazy. that they may say, oh, my hair, but it's always because I didn't feel like I was listened to or that they were present in me in that space. And so that, to me, funnels down to us not being able to connect to somebody. Because yeah. if you're not present, you're not connecting with people. Yeah. And it's so, so yeah. much is so much 
so I can teach is... anybody to cut hair. I can't teach right. people to be a good hairdresser. Right. And they're different. Right. So much is about connection. Hey, like we do so many things. We're on the surface. We're doing this. Right. And it's obvious what we're doing. Yeah. But beneath that is really the real reason we're doing it is there's because there's a connection we feel a connection and now more than ever i feel yeah. like you know, people yeah. really want to feel yeah space, you know and so like yeah. we can we can navigate conversations so they're a little bit more positive than negative but like if people are having you know i have can't you... tell you the amount of people that have cried in my chair really oh yeah wow that's amazing huh. do you ever yeah yeah no never mind i'll move on <laughs> i had a question i'm not sure it's a good one um guess you won't know you didn't ask so (laughs) (laughs) well okay i'll ask uh have you ever had to uh kind of had a client out because you couldn't handle the conversations really i have divorced clients i have moved them on i've said we are not the right fit and now more than ever so i don't really do hair anymore i do you know a little bit like three days a week and the clients that i have I would say 80% of them, I think the 80-20 rule falls in line with everything, one way or the other. And mm-hmm. 80% of my clients, I absolutely love and would like go grab a beer and 20%, I'm just like, fine, and it's okay, but I don't maybe necessarily personally connect with them. So I'm fortunate enough that I have the time and the ability, so I don't have to take new clients, I don't have to do that dance because I don't have that energy anymore because I allot it to running my business. And so the clients that I have that I still kind of care for, it has to be easy and I have to enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's not my main focus as my job now, I would say. Yeah, there's been many times where it's like, I just don't think I can make, like I can't make you happy or you're just intrinsically not happy or this isn't working out. Mm. Most of the time it's like, I can't fit you in and we find a way to like non-confrontationally do it, which is also, I don't, believe in but it just happens <laughs> just yeah. the least resistance but i think a lot of the times yeah you have to now i'm fortunate when you're beginning in this career you have to take everything and i've tried to teach a lot of my stylists when they're young too yes you need to take a lot but you also don't have to take crap from people and people can treat us like garbage as people that are serving them and so it's like right. if it's not the right connection yeah i know they're paying you money and you want to make money and all this stuff but if it's not the right fit personality Tell them it's not the right fit, or I don't think I'm the best hairdresser for you because we just want to be yes people. I, so yeah, I, for sure. Do you think that that drives some hairstylists out of the business because they 100%. don't have the ability to cut off bad clients yeah. and they just drown? Yeah. Really? And how hard it is to build a really sustainable career in hair mm-hmm. is very tough a long term. And I'm fortunate with most of our staff has a lot of experience and they have full clientele and relationships, but it's all because they have good relationships with people. But sometimes it's hard to navigate. And especially in the world we live in now, the expectation is a lot different for hair because of social media and photos. They're often unrealistic expectations. And so we just want to deliver that. And then when we can't, nobody wants to be the person to say like, hey, I don't think I'm good enough to do that. Or I don't have the skill set to do this. You say, yes, yes, yes. And you set these expectations really high and then it falls short. And then that's where a lot of disconnect happens. So it's like under promise, over deliver if you can, but that's hard because everyone wants to win, right? Everyone wants to be, feel like they're the best at what they do, but it's just not. I imagine the internet has sort of made many jobs difficult. I was just listening to something. I can't remember what it was, but they were saying how doctors, you know, you can imagine how much more difficult it is to be a doctor now uh, yeah. back back in the day before internet. There should be like, you know, we have BCAD. There should be like, yeah, a, our there world. should be BI before internet. <laughs> yeah, before internet, the World Wide web. Yeah, because yeah. it was like, 
completely different world, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, back in B BI <laughs> uh era, you know, doctors went to school, got all this knowledge about medicine them that you had no access to, right? So you go to a doctor and you would trust what they say and generally wouldn't question them because you don't yeah. have the information to question yeah. them. Um, but now <laughs> it's there's medical information everywhere. And not only that, but medical information is advancing so fast. So even the doctors can't really keep up as as well with no. it. And but but people read stuff and so they'll come into the doctor's office. I'm sure experts. I read this, I read that, you know, like what do you think about this or that? And and it must be it must be so difficult to deal with that and kind of like it is with haircut yes. like i understand you want this haircut but hey, it just is not possible and you don't have the money the time the money and, uh, yeah and they're often not real they're often photoshopped right most right. of the time it and we try hard our instagram has never been my strong point but it's very important in our field to some degree and posting but it's like every photo we try to not edit them at all so therefore they don't always look the best, but you really edit lighting, you edit pictures. So they're just like, not real. This is not real. Mm. But I have a funny story about the doctor. I remember the, my old doctor, I remember in there telling him I had this and he opened Google and, and typed in my symptoms in Google. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I'm watching I mean, him Google like my, you know, I'm like, I think it's this. And I'm like, well, see, we're all the same. Yeah. And, that, and and that's respectable, right? I, yeah. I you know, I, I maybe some people would frown on it, like, what the hell? No, My the world is googling things. So he doesn't much. know anything. Yeah. It's just like, but it's like, no, I totally respect that because they're like, I'm trying to do the best job I can for you, and you know. Well, we think of our salon. We always talk about it. It's the teaching hospitals of salons because we never trust our own. We always ask questions. We will easily incorporate other hairdressers, mostly with color because it becomes a little more complicated. But it's like, how do I do this? I have this idea. Do you have this idea? And we sit there and talk. And sometimes clients are like, this is weird. I've never I'm like, well, we don't, we're just trying to make sure we get the best because there's 10 ways to get there, but like maybe your way is better. Mm -hmm. And we do that often and we kind of collaborate and talk. And that's always been such a important part of my environment because the hairdressing world can be really vindictive and really volatile. Other industries aren't like that and they're more collaborative. It's like, how can we just work? And so like, if you got your haircut by somebody else, I'd be very happy. That actually makes me proud. And we try and draw that culture where sometimes hmm. we have ownership over these people. And it's like, no, like if you need to get in at a certain day, a certain time, and somebody else can do the job just as good as I can, why wouldn't I want that? You know? I feel that's been one of the huge shifts post internet era and i would say more post social media era mm -hmm. is because information there's just so much and everyone has so much access and it's changing so fast now with it's ai amazing. and all this stuff like crazy i don't know there's some statistics about how quickly information i can't even imagine your industry like, now compared to what it was 100 years ago right yeah. like information evolved very like exponentially slower <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hundreds cool. of years, hundred years ago, hundreds than it does now. Like, uh, and so I, I think we used to live in such a more of a structured hierarchical, yeah, and more singularly before, like knowledgeable industri post industrial revolution type of One where person knew about a, everything's a hierarchy. Law. That's right. Yeah. Oh, this you know you, to learn you learn from this. There's like you know there's yeah. there's 
the body and then the the, the yeah like every like a flow down chart right yeah. where if you needed to know something deeper or more you go to the person but i don't know like there was this just general concept that there's certain people that know everything about certain yeah. things and now it's kind of been there's definitely still obviously people who devote their lives study things sitting there yeah. i mean covid was a fantastic example right like how everybody thought right. that all of a sudden they were doctors and scientists right and it's like whoa but <laughs> they still know, do like yeah. these people that you know have been doing this their entire and lives also that just actually know something <laughs> don't know everything and i think we assume we want people to if they everyone has to have an opinion on something and it's like well, why do i have to have an opinion on something i have know nothing mm -hmm. about but because we know a little bit of information surface, and we get our information knowledge. in such short spurts now right. of of headlines yeah you know, yeah. that's how we absorb information you think you know. And I am the perfect, like, I am definitely a culprit in that. I have an opinion about everything. And it's like, maybe I just need to just absorb without responding so much right now. Like, I don't need <laughs> to know. I don't have to have the answers yeah. to everything. And I think we, like, want that more than ever. Yeah, to to at least, I think, I think if you can, the trick is to develop at least an awareness that it's it's fun to to exchange opinions to yeah, yeah. I love debating, uh, debating yeah. to gossip like if yep. you ever read uh, sapiens a book by harari yeah. there like he basically he literally says gossip is literally the reason why homo sapiens came to dominate yeah. uh was one of the early behaviors that they yeah. had that that let them sort of take over the planet yeah. So like gossiping is actually hugely important to our survival. Yeah. Um, and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's exchanging but, information and stories. Yeah. And yeah. That, stories, that right? Drive your exactly your little voices inside of right. you that dictate how you make decisions. Right. Like and and I, I think if if you can develop the, the trick of just having you can talk, you can discuss, you can say, but always having in the back of your mind that oh, I guess it's open being open minded or whatever. But more just the awareness of I'm 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 putting forth my opinion, but in the back of my mind, I know that opinion is based on very surface level information. <laughs> and so therefore don't just don't be super attached to it. You can say it, you can debate it. Yeah. Attachment. But, but if great. somebody throws something back that is don't don't be like, well, you know, I've spent oh, I know. 25 years in this area like if that's the case then yeah you probably should get like you're an idiot i've spent 25 yeah. years in this field i know better you've read a fucking blog post you know yeah. fair enough i think that if that's yeah. the scenario you probably have, have have quite solid reason to get you know pretty stern but most of the time those people you, aren't well, yeah, the don't. person most people don't right that really know the information they're just like sure believe no that yeah even, yeah even if you've read five blog articles and they were the same or you read like yeah. in a like you still you you know like this insanely tiny sliver of it's just so easy now to find and only absorb things that agree with what you already know yeah confirmation so, bias yeah yeah and that's good and bad i guess yeah. Well, it's natural, right? It's a yeah. natural part of the human like condition. Like it begets like. Like you just want to, yeah. you tend to like yeah. things that are yeah. familiar to you. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, I think just the critical thinking, right? Having the awareness this is something I'm trying to sort of teach the kids. It's painful. 
um, because they just want to be like. But that's the only thing they're going to have left is critical thinking because AI and all the stuff takes away non-critical thinking. So you can make up a story, you can write something, you can make a picture, create anything you want. It's learning how to, so like when they talk about development, like every generation says like the generation before us was better. You know, our generation, we know right. better. It's like such a BS. It's Rich like, bullshit. no, we're obsolete. Kids are the future. They know That's right. they're already made us Whether up. you, whether, yeah, it's true. And I, I've even sort of mildly caught myself with that too. I have kids and, and thinking that, oh, you know, it's, you, th you look at the way what they're doing and the way they're doing it or what they're what yeah. they're doing or what interest you know and and because you can't relate to it because it's not what I grew up with you it, yeah. there's this like this impulse to think it's wrong yes but really yes. I think all of our fears all of our fears are ba are fears of the unknown like mm -hmm. you like racism um like uh yeah, it's a Fear, yeah. uh, like ag aggression, even uh, yeah. violence, they're all really based in because they're unknown. For if you anxiety, it's all the same. If you go, if you box, okay, you go to a boxing ring and you box every day and you get punched in the face every day, you don't have that. Uh, nowhere near the same. You probably still fear somebody pointing a machine gun at you. Yeah. Um, because unless you're trained in that scenario and you've been in a war and you've had machine guns pointed at you many times, it's all relative, right? So what you fear, what your your fears are just based on one thing. You don't know how you would react. You don't understand this thing, yeah. and so that's what you fear. Really, kind of lost train of thought. What <laughs> just saying about like kids and youth, right? And like oh that, yeah, what that drives so, you, right? With you and right. Your so it's it's fear of the unknown because I don't know what the behaviors that they're doing, where yeah. it's headed because you I can't I relate can't. also because so it's then beyond... my tendency is to say, Oh, you know, you got, this is all wrong. It's going yeah. you know, to do this and that, whatever. Right. But well, and, but you realize why they were that way too. Right. Because of the same thing that you struggle with when you, right. Like it's kind I of, I say this to my friends normal. all the time. Like, when did you all just become parents? Like you just, I, <laughs> I, cause I don't have kids. I can see it maybe from a little bit of a different perspective, but it's like my sister with kids. It's like, you're just a parent. Like, when did you, yeah. when did you fight with your kids like this? When you hated being fought with as a, you know, your mom, you know, you hated when mom would say X, Y, Z to you. You're saying the exact same thing, but it's just yeah. the way it's just the cycle of it. Well, you're concerned, right? You have another yeah. life that you're responsible yeah. for. But there's, there's a lot of control aspect to it, though, and and sort of self. There's a lot of self-preservation. Yeah, there's a lot of parenting that as parents think we're doing for the good of the child, but really we're doing yeah. and eat, because a lot of it is we don't want to watch our children struggle or suffer of because of how it impacts us. I don't want that. And, yeah. but that, you know, I have to remind myself, but well, that's your problem. Don't hold them Beautiful back. Full circle at August, everything yeah. you've learned, I tell myself, everything you've learned and everything you are where you are today because of the, the lessons you've learned from. And you resist the information that's given to you. So you question it, right? That's critical thinking. So your kids should fight you. That's they should fight me. They should. Yes, they should question 100%. you. That's if my kids thinking. aren't arguing with me, if five kids aren't fighting yeah. me, I've and done something it's really just, wrong. It's because of the way it is, and that's just then you can figure it out on your 100%. own after. And then that's how you become an entrepreneur because you hate people telling you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then you re it's and then you realize awful. instead of listening to one boss, you have to now listen yeah. to two thousand yeah. clients yeah. and twenty yeah. employees. Yeah. So yay, big win! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've got some uh, uh, some rapid fire questions. Okay. To throw at you. Uh, are you ready? Let's go. All right. I like being self employed because 
I can drive my future. That's awesome. I like that. Toughest part of being self-employed is? Getting over my own BS. I love that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I can relate to both of those. Well, because it's like anytime I have a fight or an interaction with somebody, it's like, wait a minute. Like you said with your kids, like, wait a minute. What am I? What's why is this affecting me so much? Mm. You know, what is triggering this? Because the decision shouldn't like, you know, I was talking to somebody who's going through couples therapy and they said a, a couple should fight. It should last two to five minutes and be over. If you if it doesn't and it takes longer than that in any interaction, it means it's something that's inside of you that you don't like is coming out. The bruise, I've I've heard an analogy of um it, it's it's okay to get bruised once in a while, but if if you bruise the bruises have to heal. And if you're mm-hmm. Too much bruising too often, the bruise doesn't heal and that's and it never goes away. Relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then resentment builds and all that. So what does work life balance mean to you? Mm. Thought about this a lot lately. And I think that years past it used to mean like day to day, because that's just what you assume. I think it's honestly like big picture globally a year from now, 10 years from now. So work life balance to me is I can work like crazy for a month and a half, but I needed like a two week vacation. Or I don't need to work 40 hours a week. I can work 25 hours a week, some weeks, and then 90 hours a week, opposing weeks, that to me is balanced, but I can't work 90 hours a week for 52 weeks of the year. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be day to day. It just needs to have some sort of give and take. And I always think that we're each filled with positives and negatives, neutrons, protons. And when I give to my staff and to people around me, it takes away my positives. And then I always want to make sure I'm not in a negative, a positive deficit. So you need both. You'll have both. I just want to make sure then I got to put that back. So that balance is what I find. It's got to be at least yearly, monthly. Yeah. So you 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 like periods of intense work. Yeah. And and that's yeah. what being in, like, that's what we do. And so sometimes I tried mm-hmm. to fight that and tried to make my weeks more balanced. I was like, this is not, because mm-hmm. it's not logical. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when a staff doesn't call, come into work or the furnace breaks, I need to be there. And it's past my 40 hours. Yeah. Too bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I become resentful at that time. It's like, no, 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 I can work. But then, yeah, you know what? Next week, I'm actually going to leave right at the thing. And I don't need to be here knowing when I don't need to be here. Work-life balance for you is more more of an intuition thing. Like, you know, you need, you work, but then it's like, I just know when I need to. Yeah. So and I think it's now not like I know you have a rigid, patterns. you have a rigid right. structure to it. Right. But everything is patterns, I believe for the most part. And so my pattern is now I need to have a vacation already booked before I've left my last one. And that gets right. me through. So to me, that's for me, travel is very important. So I make sure I have that on the go. And I have my next one always booked, always. It's already been done. So that way I know I'm going to take that week off. And now I can actually try to disconnect as much as possible. That's actually advice that my dad gave me a long time ago. He he said, just make sure you take vacations. And he said, book them. It's because there was always something and wanting to take a vacation isn't enough. You have to book actions, actions, book the flight, like smart advice, book the flight. I find booking the flight yeah. is I never, once wait. you book I never the flight, wait. I don't look for a deal. You're committed. I book it. It's done. I'm committed. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Cause it's true. Like I, I've heard and know of my, that I, I take a lot of vacation and, uh, 
and I kind of try to follow more or less my dad's advice actually. But yeah, I know I've run into many people that, you know, oh, I haven't taken, you know, they, they kind of like, they'll say, I know I need to take vacation, whatever. And they don't. And it's just a matter. Well, like you have to just, you have to book it. Like, yeah. And so I know that I need to be available when I'm here and when I'm gone, I still need to be available to some degree, but at a different capacity. And then it allows me to be more present or at least to try to be more present at work when I'm there, because often I can be there, but I'm not, I'm there as a boss, but not as a leader. And they're very different. Mm. And I try to show up as a leader more if I can. And that's hard sometimes. What's the ideal amount of vacation for you? Two weeks. Two weeks? Three, actually, if I can. But two yeah. weeks is a nice amount of time. Sometimes two weeks, I get a little anxious towards the end because you're like, I know I have a shit storm to come back to and I'm going to be working a lot. But like 10 days, 10 days is like a really nice, 10 days to two weeks, I find is like, like I'm allowed. I, it takes me a couple days yeah. to relax, not check my phone, be always looking at emails, have about five or six days. And then usually the last day or the day before, I'm like in work mode already. So I at least need like five or six days and it doesn't take much. It's just like, I want to be able to sleep in and walk and do whatever I want and deal with a little yeah. stuff, but not be like work is my main focus. And it's not, I mean, I'm pretty good at like that now, but I also learned that I did the restaurant for five years and I took one, one week vacation once. I was like, never going to work tough. six days a week, almost every week. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. Favorite mental health hack. Uh, used to be smoking. That's not good anymore. <laughs> I wish I could just. It was those, good back in the day. It was we so were, good. We yeah, that was great. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, best mental health hack would be taking a moment to realize it's not all about you. Wow. That's a good one. Because I think when you think about it's you a lot, that's when it becomes heavier and deeper because it's so directly affected. But it's like sometimes it's like, hey, this is not just about me. It's not a personal attack on me because work, because you invest so much in other people and things that when it comes back to you, you think, why don't I receive it at the same way? It's like, but they're separate. Yeah. That's a good one. Your best scheduling tip. I'm learning this. And so like a day like today, which would be like, I always say my day off. And so I always classify days that I was actually literally cutting hair as work but then I would be working six days a week on some other stuff is scheduling time to work and only doing three, four hours of work. Say today, after this conversation, I'll work for three hours, whatever I get done in that three hours, I get done. It ends at that three hours mm. of, of actual tasks. I'll still maybe, you know, check an email there and there, but it's like, sometimes I never felt like I would get stuff done, but I'm always working. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like progress over perfection. So just sit there, work for three hours. And it's amazing how much more I get done. And mm. little tidbits here and there. So it's like mm. for this and not big chunks, I can't sit down for eight hours and do other work. So it's like three hours to work on my work on my business, not work at my business. Mm. And how often do you do that? Well, I've been trying to do it twice a week and I haven't probably done it for a month and a half. <laughs> so classic <laughs> entrepreneur, yeah. I'm terrible at it myself, but yeah. I like restarts. I mean, I'm never, I'm a huge procrastinator on things. Just keep moving in the right direction. Just keep one step in front of the other. In those three, four hour blocks, do you like very fervently block out distractions or? I try to, when I do, I put on reading classical music. I make a coffee. I light a candle. I sit at my island or at my desk. I pull out everything. And I just kind of 
do all the ideas. So it's like, oh, I need a new management manual. Well, I've been saying that for two years. And so it's like, well, hey, I got a bigger chunk now. I'm on page 10 now. It's almost done. It's like there. And so it's like that gives me time to work on stuff that isn't the day-to-day paying bills, uh, doing payroll, managing staff, doing scheduling, the sort of stuff that makes the business um, work day-to-day. Those three or four hours allows me to do stuff to work on the business as a whole. And I feel like it's that's the important thing. I was not for just keep feeding that so you can take. That's it, Adam. Thanks. Thanks very great. much for as uh, always. Great conversation. I yeah. Talk yeah. for like hours longer. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh really I enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. Yeah, likewise. And uh we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Have a good day. Okay. Enjoy your Monday. Dave, All right, ciao. Take care. Okay, bye. And that's a wrap. I hope our discussions today have given you some insights, inspiration, or even just food for thought. Whether it's navigating the world of business, championing mental health, adapting to remote work, or keeping up with the latest tech trends, remember, every challenge is a gift, an opportunity to learn more about yourself, others, and the world around us. I want to extend a big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Your support truly means the world. If you found value in today's conversation, please consider sharing this podcast with a friend or leaving us a review. It helps more people discover these stories and insights. I'm Mikey Vashu, signing off for now. Stay curious, stay resilient, and I'll catch you in the next episode.